Hi, we are in a new episode of uh, the History and Politics podcast, and we have a great guest. We have Benjamin R. Teitelbaum, who teaches ethnomusicology and, and international affairs at the University of Colorado Boulder. Hello, Benjamin. Hello, Camilo. So the the topic of of today is talking about your book, the Lions of the North, the songs of of new Nordic radical nationalism. So so how you you came about the idea of of, of writing this this book because it's it has been like some it's it's very not necessarily that much books about. Uh, Scandinavia wrote, wrote in English, and, and it's really an interesting book in many ways. I, I don't necessarily read that much books of ethnomusicology, but this has been really interesting. Well, well thank you, Camilo. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, as I think as is often the case for a lot of people, it's, it's hard to know why you become interested in something. You, you just are. Um, but for me, it, it was a realization that when I was a graduate student and doing field work in Sweden, and I had to do a very different topic, uh, realizing that I was in the field as a scholar, right, right as some very, very interesting and consequential things were happening with with politics, with nationalist far right politics, uh, and also. That, that music had, had quite a story to tell. There were some very strange things going on, some strange music being produced uh, at the same time uh, from, from the far right. So that's all of that going on led me to look more closely at the topic, and, and I just found it to be a bottomless source of, of, of curiosity, um, rewarding, rewardingly so, I would add. So the, the 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 first is is the how you you are you have make in the introduction of the book the the basically the try to make clear that you aren't talking just about the the the, the far right for saying in some way like you think that this is go beyond the the left and right traditional device how how do you explain this in the more Profound way that, that that kind of 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 way of particularly breaking that division. Yes, yeah. I, I mean, I really so in the book. You know, I mean, a bit more formal. I use the word nationalist uh, to describe the people who I study, um, and it, it's I use that word for very specific reasons, and and not without some misgivings. I would add. Uh, there, there are some downsides to it, but nationalist, nationalist, or nationalism, in in Sweden means something very specific. Uh, it's used by insiders. It's a term that's used by people themselves who I study, um, and they debate and discuss amongst themselves who who is what and what counts as a nationalist. But for me. Uh, this particular population was united by a number of things. The first ideological centerpiece, of course, is opposition to immigration, especially immigration from the non-European world, uh, opposition to multiculturalism, secondarily opposition to transnational organizations like the European Union, 
opposition to liberal progressive social movements like feminism uh, and LGBT rights under, under certain circumstances and in certain ways. Um, all of those things you know, are, are hallmarks of the, of the ideological sphere of nationalists. Um, they weren't the keystone, if you want, and I'll try to be brief with responding to you here, Camilo, but the, mm-hmm. the important thing and, and why a music scholar needs to not only be careful with how she or he defines this, but also participate in the process of definition, is that being a nationalist in the Nordic countries means all of that I just mentioned, plus a little, little bit more. Uh, being a nationalist means that you hold all of those political positions I just mentioned, but it also tends to mean that you participate in, or in some way familiar with, a, a subculture. Uh, and being familiar with the subculture, there are some people who are without even holding the political positions. It's kind of complicated, but uh, that subculture is a subculture of nationalism. It's one born of the fact that all of the political positions I just talked about have been very, very marginalized in Sweden. There hasn't been a lot of mainstream outlets for someone to be anti-immigration, anti-multiculturalism in Sweden. And uh, for that reason, Holding those positions tends to push you to an underground, oppositional, uh, uh, sort of sect-like social world, uh, uh, where different dress, different language, and then yes, of course, different music tend to thrive and mark people as insiders or outsiders. Uh, um, that's that's what it means to be a nationalist. Within that range, within that ideological sphere, there can be wide, wide differences. Uh, there are people who are explicitly fighting immigration because they are concerned with race, because they want to preserve the biological, sensible biological integrity of Sweden. There are others who simply want to protect, you know, economics, uh, economic boundaries, political boundaries, cultural boundaries. Um, but they're all similarly marginalized, and they all tend to, if, even if they're extreme or less extreme, they, they all tend to participate or at least know about the same subcultural expressions. Um, so we have to take into account all that, and, and that that's how I put, you know, put some edges on the population that I study. It's, it's ideology, it's politics, yes, but that's, that's not enough. It's also culture. Yeah, so so I, I was wondering. You you mentioned several music styles, and and and, and the style I, I am more uh, aware of, of that I particularly listen more is is uh, indie music, and and I don't know. I, I mean, it's still to this day I haven't found uh, an a neo-Nazi or, or I don't know if even modely nationalist band. Of indie, not even from Scandinavia, from 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 every place. I don't know. It's it's strange because even the music that generally is associated with with the left and sometimes with the more radical left, like punk, is is uh, it has uh, certainly members who, who are much more to toward uh, toward the right or toward nationalist positions. But the India scene, I, I don't, I don't have seen like any anything. And you didn't mention it also. So the the India scene, the pop scene, uh, with exception of Saga, which you mentioned has some 
kind of more pop appeal in some ways. That that, that kind of scenes are not are, are music that that the radical nationalists haven't been that much interested or to what degree? Yeah. Well, if you know, if we back up for a moment just to catch catch your listeners up. Yeah. Uh, with what we're talking about. I mean, in the 1980s and the 1990s, you know, the music genre, there were variations. Yes, there, there are some people who didn't fit this, this format, but the dominant music style is punk metal. Um, you know, coming out of Great Britain, Germany, and Sweden, first and foremost. Um, and they hit 2000, you know, 2002, 3, 4, 5, uh, and the general opinion was that that profile, the angry skinhead with the punk music blasting, the metal music playing, was not politically advantageous. It was bad. It was going to stop them from advancing their political cause and they had to change. And so there's, you know, around that time we see this great expansion of, of stylistic genre expressions uh, in, in, in Scandinavia. Um, and and You know, there were, there's rap, there's reggae, there's folk music, there's singer-songwriter, but one woman you mentioned who I, I focused on in my book, Saga, uh, really took command of a light pop-sounding music, you know, the type of music that we would not be able to assign a genre to. It's just kind of, I don't know, Britney Spears, just nondescript pop music. Um, and she is, she is a exceptional in, in that respect. There haven't been too many other nationalists who have wanted to do something just kind of bland pop music. It doesn't belong to a genre. Um, it's not something I've thought about that much why why there wouldn't be more um, of that. But um, when you talk, talk about indie rock in particular, yeah. there one might one might inject it elsewhere. Not in Sweden, but, uh, but elsewhere in Europe Great Britain in particular, that some of uh, a scene called neo-folk, which has a very complicated, extremely complicated relationship to the radical nationalist uh, political world. It's on the border to some indie rock. I've had students in my classes listen, listen to an artist, uh, for example, named Death and, called Death in June, um, very complicated, but politically, who, you know, the students will listen to that and say, oh, that sounds like indie rock to me. Um, I'm not sure. I totally agree, but it's it's in that sphere at least. So it does it does exist. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, it's there. There are certainly like you. Uh, you mentioned that that the association has some. There are some influence from from overseas, despite that they are nationalists. Like the influence of David Duke. How how does it? It's really central that. That influence of, of David Duke, because he like basically is saying that that no one is going to to support them politically if they if they are dressing like 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 punks and uh, that's it's a very difficult path and they have to for be more formal and look like politicians like more clear cut you know more normal and, and try to yeah. To, 
Yeah, I, I mean, it's it, it's been you know, so to go back to that reform when 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 nationalists who had once been skinheads started to change that. I mean, David Duke, a voice from the United States, certainly carried a lot of weight in Sweden. He was, you know, he was brought to Sweden by an organization, a record label slash media concern uh, called the Nordic League, and and um, you know him coming over and not covered in tattoos, not shouting Sieg Heil or anything like that, but just looking more or less like a normal, a normal politician. Uh, that certainly carries some weight. But there was broad, there was broad consensus. Sweden gives us a great example of, to think about this. Sweden is in the 1980s and 90s an outsized center for white power subculture. You know, we, we can track that through music consumption. Um, you know, there are far, far greater percentage of the population in Sweden was listening to white power music than, than any place else in the West that we know of. But none of that had led to a formal political advance. You know, you get to, you get to the year 2000, there's, Sweden does not even have a populist right-wing party in its parliament like most European countries do. Um, so that was inspiration for them as it was, you know, throughout in Europe to moderate you know, adjust, assimilate. Uh, okay, if nationalism is a subculture and it, and it has shut people off from the mainstream, let's push them back out in the mainstream. Let's have, have this exodus from the underground into the public uh, square. That's That was the push. The, the interesting thing, Camilo, is, is I, I think that that has, while that has been the direction since at least the year 2000, arguably earlier, you know, of moderate, soften, appease, assimilate, all of those things. All of that may be changing starting 2016, um, and the catalyst being, being Donald Trump, um, someone who could be seen as belonging to the same political movement uh, as, as nationalists in Sweden, but who did not play by the stylistic rules. Um, who is crass and nasty and, and aggressive and unapologetic and won you know, and, and, and achieved utmost power. Um, that has thrown the previous agenda on its on its head somewhat. <laughs> yeah. um, but that's another topic. I don't know if you want to get into that, but this, it, it's, it's very relevant for for the stylistic thrusts. Yeah, it, it, I haven't like think like about that in, in that way, but it's interesting. Um, the other thing that I was going to, to ask you is that since you focus particularly on Sweden, like the the how do do, do you have ever asked the, the the nationals what they think about ABBA, about a lot of Scandinavian bands or mostly Swedish bands that are quite popular overseas? Because I, I mean, I, I live in, in Peru and. And even here, like uh, the Swedish indie bands like Radio Dev or Club Aid are, are quite popular, at least uh, amongst the people that listen to indie rock. So it, it's it's good sounding strange, but but at least from from people listening to indie generally rock music, it's Sweden like has a, a lot of of meaning in many ways. It's, it's very curious that, but, but oh, yeah. I suppose that that happens in other places because, 
uh, Swedish music has expanded in many ways in a very curious way. I don't know if they have thoughts on that. They think they're Oh, oh, sure, sure. I mean, it, I mean, Sweden's output in terms of popular music is is outsized. I mean, it's so much bigger than than what you would expect from a population around nine million people, and it's been that way for a long time. You know, what what is relevant, you know, from from my topic is that. It's an additional reminder of the fact that the, you know, radical nationalism or the, the so-called extreme right is very, very much a part of the society that it comes from. Um, you know, one reason that Sweden has had such a strong showing, I think, internationally, has to do with its welfare state. It has to do with the fact that Swedish children from a very early age can, can get a lot of, of access to music education. Uh, you know, and it's a particular type of music education too. They're taught uh, a lot of skills that are that are helpful with with pop music, um, and that includes everybody in Sweden. That includes ABBA. Uh, that includes you know the indie indie bands you talked about, Swedish house mafia, any any of these uh, any of these acts, and it also includes radical nationalists or or young children who go and go on to to do other other types of subversive music making, um, so it's, it's it's a similar a similar core uh, there for sure. You know, so that's the first thing to say in response to that question. The other, you know, another important thing uh, I I think to, to point out is that a lot of the parody style music, which has really blossomed on YouTube uh, in in far right circles throughout throughout the West. You know, Swedes have tended to want to modify other Swedish, uh, Swedish pop music. You know, Swedish far right activists have wanted to take something that was that was fairly well known or emblematic of Sweden, and and remake it in a way that that was funny, amusing, captivating. And so, Swedish house mafia has been one, uh, you know, one especially around 2014 that caught some attention. And the in, in that particular respect, people are doing fake fake covers of, uh, of Swedish house mafia works. So, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, how how does radical nationalism seem like their 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 place in in, in the war in, in 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 foreign policy and things like that? Because when I sometimes uh, a lot of time ago, I was talking with a with a um, with a journalist and works in 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 Washington D.C. and she was a libertarian. She was uh, pro sex work and she was uh, I don't want to say the, the most left leaning libertarian, but she was fairly left leaning, and and and. and she like for some reason in advance she she met some people from the alt right and and these guys were really very anti war and that was something that that struck her uh, and I don't know what's their the position of of, of the Nordic nationalism in, in, in their foreign policy do they want to to promote it oh, yeah, by the lyrics or something like that well yeah I mean most most of of, of the groups and ideologies that we see 
especially not the 1980s, who weren't, you know, expressly identifying as neo-Nazis themselves. Um, a lot of them will call themselves anti-imperialists. You know, they will see an equivalence between, uh, you know, different types of, of globalization, if that's military expansion and domination, if it is mass pop culture, uh, or if it is mass migration. Um, there's, there's, there's a clear anti-globalist kind of thread in, in much of, you know, much of these societies that looks, uh, looks at all those things as equally un undesirable, and therefore, especially in New York, we see, we see a lot of anti-American, a lot of anti-American uh, far-right groups uh, who blame the U.S. For, for perpetuating globalization, spreading global capitalism, in the same breath as they would have the same, you know, similar objections to, to, to communism in the East. Um, so yeah, I mean, you, you can find you can find activists who are who are aggressively anti-war uh, in the alt-right in the U.S. were disillusioned when Donald Trump attacked Syria, for example. Um, you'd also hear animal rights being as a, you know many times against halal uh, meat production and you know by by Muslims, but uh, animal rights could be brought up. Environmentalism. There's there are a number of ways in which they'll connect environmentalism to uh, to resistance of immigration and multiculturalism. Uh, it can take a lot of a lot of twists and turns. It's one reason, you know, I think it's so important to really study the uh, these these actors because their their thinking is is seldom predictable. You know, as soon as you think, oh, I know what they're going to say about this, there is a twist on it. Something that they have to say, they are thinking that that surprises you. Um, in the United States, uh, the, there was some days ago a photo uh, pop up about uh, radical um, left wing group. I think was the Workers War Party. That wasn't a photo with some libertarian confederates. And I, I know that that in Sweden there are less libertarians, but but. Have there been some kind of attempt of Nordic nationalism working with the left on some mission? Oh yes. Well, I mean, some have a. Um, let's put it that way, or at least wanted to play off the idea that the left and the right. Um, you know, the easy example is criticism of Israel. Of course, the uh, you know the, the left and the right, Sweden the far far right could, uh, you know, for different reasons, of course, but could unite in criticism of this. But but also the anti anti imperialist anti 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 globalism opposition to the to the European Union. If if you look in Sweden, the only two political parties that really oppose the country's membership in the European Union, outer left former communist party, and the radical nationalist Sweden Democrats. These uh, two to types of transnationalism, to a loss of power, to uh, to the feeling that some 
limb, if it's, if it's bureaucrats or if it's local capitalists. Um, you know, there, the, the, the two, the two can come, can come. Um, uh, you know, another important intellectual stream to take into account when you're asking that question about when the left and the right, uh, that would be the French Nobel Blanc, which was very, very influential in Sweden, translated to English, thanks to Swedes in many cases. You know, and for them, they oppose globalization on cultural, socio-cultural grounds because they see, let's say, American imperialism or international communism as being threats to cultural and social diversity. Uh, you know, the important word there is that diversity uh, might end up meaning something very different to these people than it does to, let's say, left-wing progressives in the West. Um, but there's enough common ground there that, that, say, some of these intellectual leaders have been published in left-wing journals. Telos, for example, has published a lot. Uh, that's a left-wing U.S. journalist published a lot by the Nobel Law, uh, by the French New Right uh, in the United States, as well as works by Ernst Schielner. So, so it's a uh, uh, things can get things can get messy and complicated as you dig deep. Yeah, I mean it's 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 true that that there is certain the the complexities of of, of the world today are are much more than the past. It seems in many ways. The, the other question is, uh, how do, do you see that, that particular the, 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 the nationalists that are not ethnic nationalists, do, do, do you think that they, particularly those in the wrestling music, do you think that they could appeal to, to the new generations to, the, the, of, of immigrants, the ones born in, in, in Sweden, but that, that are not ethnic Swedes? Swedes? The nationalists who are not Nazis, you said? Yes. The more moderate. Um, well, it, it, it depends. I mean, there, one successful aspect of the Sweden Democrats, and they're, and they're arguably the fastest growing party in Europe right now, one, one, should, one should bear in mind, uh, is they've, they've held a very firm boundary in some questions, they do not want to have anyone in their party who claims to be an ethno-nationalist, who wants to protect Swedish ethnicity, for example. Um, but they've allowed a lot of diversity in other areas. Um, and that has allowed a lot of different perspectives to come into their party. Um, there's a wide range of opinion in the country that does not have any other expression than Swedish Democrats, and that makes them very, very difficult to stop and, and um, powerful as well. Uh, and the opposition to Islam, which is not as strong with some politicians, but it, it's certainly part of the party program, that that can bring together a very interesting group of people again. So certainly this the, the core, to, to give you, to illustrate this, so some of the core voters for the Sweden Democrats we might think are predictable. Uh, rural undereducated men, uh, first and foremost, uh, you know, and, and we would say majority in the United States, we'd say white men, too. Uh, that probably sounds predictable to you. But what might be less predictable is that a lot of Assyrians, so Middle Eastern Christians, 
uh, who have immigrated into Sweden, they are drawn to the Sweden Democrats. Uh, these are people for whom Christianity's opposition to Islam is their formative political issue. Uh, this is this is what they act. This is how they act politically uh, in in public, and so the Sweden Democrats are uh, are an obvious choice for them. Another surprising demographic is Iranians in Sweden, and 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 you know those of your listeners who know a bit of that that history might know where where this is all going. Uh, Iranians who left the country during the revolution. Are some of the most anti-Islam. <laughs> you know, the word Islamophobic is not enough to describe the way some of them, some of them are. They're some of the some of the most aggressively anti-Islam people one will find in in Sweden. Um, and so for them, you know, Swedish nationalism's opposition to immigration is, you know, maybe a little annoying, maybe a little uncomfortable. Uh, for them, but but its robust criticism of Islam is enough to bring them to the party enthusiastically and in large numbers. Uh, to to be honest, I I wasn't expecting that, uh, although I I understand the logic. But yeah, it's uh, it's certainly. I, I mean, Peru. There are not that much Syrians or or. Or, or Iranian, so it's very difficult for me to do a draw comparison. But um, the other, the, the last question that I was going to ask you is, is, is you you were like the last chapter were more speaking of a decline in in in, in, in the music and the focus of the Nordic nationalists that it's more much more political. Do you think that is going to be a, a trend that is going to be, or do you think in some way it will return to, to, to what it was going before? Wow, that's a, that's a, that's a good question, uh, Camilo. And it's, you know, the difficulty in answering that is, has to do with the current state of affairs for global right-wing populism and nationalism. Right now, I mean, I, I, I connected, and I, I stand behind that analysis. I, I trace the decline in music making and the decline in subcultural behavior in general to political success. One of the reasons that uh, I think that the the radical right to begin with, or radical nationalists uh, to begin with, turned to music was because they had no other forum. You know, they were the most hated, reviled political cause in the West after World War II. You know, a lot of European countries could tolerate a communist party. Not a big one, but they could tolerate them. But a Nazi party, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, and, and so, you know, or anyone accused of being Nazi, who could be accused of being Nazi. So, you know, to, to use music to paint to imagine another existence for yourself, another universe in which you weren't an outcast but were instead powerful. All of that all of that flows from being marginalized, I think. Um, and, and one could talk about about that trend in other in other situations. Um, and so when these when these forces become less marginalized, when they start to be able to gain actual formal political power, 
they don't need to fight symbolic battles. They don't need to pretend symbolically to have power. They can wield the actual power that they have. Um, and so the question is, in my mind, if, if my analysis is valid, is, well, what happens, what happens to their power in the West? Uh, do they continue winning elections? Do more and more other political parties have to bend to their ideas, accommodate their discourse, accommodate their perspectives? Uh, and, you know, and if so, I, I would think that subcultural, you know, subcultural expression will, will continue to be a thing of the past, a way for, you know, for old timers that they have credentials, that they were part of the original generation, that they were nationalists before it was cool to be nationalists. Um, but as long as they are continuing to move, as long as they have actual political power, I don't, I don't think that music will play the same role that it did uh, in the past. I, I, I just don't see that. If, on the other hand, this is just an anomaly, if this is a one-time thing, if we're going to see the you know, Trump thrown out of office aggressively and, you know, and, his, and his apologists chased down. If we're going to see Brexit become an absolute disaster for Great Britain, if, you know, if Austria, Italy, Sweden, Denmark, uh, Germany, if all of this, this push starts to fizzle, then we might see these people go back into the underground. And, and I, would, I would expect music to start flowing from them in that case. Well, that's a really interesting take. So with that, I think we could leave it here. I'm reminded that um, your book, Lions of the North, the sounds of the Nordic radical nationalism is interesting and people should, should get it and read it because it's, it's really an interesting take on, on a fairly uh, uncommon subject, but a really, a really timely, timely topic to 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 know about so thanks benjamin you're a, a pleasure a pleasure